This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, has suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that you may learn not to blaspheme. Now, when we look at our scriptures this morning, we find out that as Christians, we are in a battle. We are we we face a battle every day of our life. We're looking at First uh, Timothy chapter one verses um, uh, eighteen through twenty this morning. But it, it's a battle against flesh and blood, not against. Um, not a battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Satan has always raged against God's people, and he is very strategic in the way that he goes about it. And so one of those ways is by means of false teachers. Now, despite such warfare that we find ourselves in as Christians, in Christ, the believer is to stand firm. And in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, Martin Luther declared, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And, and that's so true. It is a battle. And Satan is a, is a fierce enemy. But if we are in Christ, we can stand firm and we can be victorious. On April 10th, 1912, the RMS Titanic left her berth at the harbor of Southampton, Hampton, England. And this was her maiden voyage for the 882-foot-long ocean liner that had been billed as unsinkable. She carried with her on that maiden voyage 2,228 passengers and crew. Now, most of the passengers had paid thousands of dollars, even back then in 1912, thousands of dollars to sail on that great luxury liner. Four days into the voyage, on April 14, 1912, severe iceberg warnings were received from the area through which the Titanic was sailing. These warnings were ignored, and the Titanic maintained her course for New York Harbor. At 11.40 p.m. that night, the Titanic struck an iceberg on her starboard side of the bow. She began to take water on immediately at an alarming rate, and within three hours, three hours, the Titanic and 1,523 souls 
were on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Only 705 of the original 2,228 persons survived that great shipwreck. Now, since 1912, people have tried to figure out what happened to bring about the, the, dem, the demise of this ship that was called Unsinkable. And most people would agree that the tragedy was a mixture of, of many things, including negligence and apathy and greed and pride and incompetence. In other words, when you put all of that together, the tragedy could have been avoided had all of the proper steps been taken by the captain and the crew of the Titanic. But since those steps were not taken, a tragic loss of life occurred on that cold night in the North Atlantic. Now, of course, the Titanic is just one of many, many famous shipwrecks. We could also talk about the uh, Andrea Dora, or the, the Lusitania that uh, was sunk, that brought America into the war. We could talk about the Edmund Fitzgerald. And all these tragedies that should have never happened. The fact behind the great shipwrecks of history makes for a, a fascinating study. But did you know that not all shipwrecks happen at sea? It's true, most shipwrecks occur on dry ground. And our text today speaks of the potential of spiritual shipwrecks. And I would venture to say that none of us in this room will, will ever be involved in a shipwreck at sea. However, the possibility exists that we might suffer shipwreck in our spiritual life. In, in some ways, a, a spiritual shipwreck is far more devastating than a shipwreck on the high seas. And so I want to take a moment this morning and remind you that 1 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul around 64 AD. And Paul is writing to his companion Timothy about how to deal with some of the problems there at the church of Ephesus. He has been talking about some, some teachers there at the church that Timothy needed to deal with because they were teaching false doctrines. They were teaching contrary to the word of God. They were teaching things that were leading people away from the gospel. And Paul is telling Timothy to deal with these folks. So this is the point to which Paul returns here in the last few verses of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, as he encourages Timothy to keep working there at the church. So verse 18 down to 20, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, which some have rejected concerning the faith has suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of how not to shipwreck your faith. 
In verse 19, the Apostle Paul says that some rejecting their conscience and have suffered shipwreck of their faith. Now the picture here comes to mind of a ship at sea that crashes and sinks to the, to the bottom of the ocean. And the Titanic and other ships that, that are remembered today, not so much because of the way that they began their voyage, but they are remembered because of the way their voyage ended. Many ships are known to us today only because they suffered shipwreck. So Paul uses that imagery and he applies it to the Christian life and he says that there are some people who are known to us today not because of how they began their Christian journey, but because how they ended they, they suffered shipwreck. And of course he mentions two of them by name here in verse 20 being Hymenius and Alexander. Now we, we hear at times about this preacher or this high profile person or this person over here having wrecked their, their ministry because of this sin or that sin. And sometimes we say, well, I didn't even know who that person was. <laughs> you see, that's the thing. We don't always know how a person begins, but we hardly ever forget how they ended their lives. And they suffer shipwreck. These guys, however they started off in their spiritual journey, they are remembered for how they ended. They were spiritually shipwrecked. And God designed us to sail the seas of life, and he equipped us to weather the storms that we face. So it isn't, what we go through in our life isn't something that's surprising to God, that catches God off guard and say, oh, I wish I would have known that storm was coming into their life. No, he knew, he knew everything that's going to come into your life, and he equipped you to face those storms. Now, someone has said that, that a ship in the harbor is safe. But that's not why the ship is built, <laughs> to stay in the harbor. And that's so true. And it applies to the Christian life. We might say, well, God, God didn't design us to sit in the safe harbor of the church sanctuary. He designed us to get out there and sail the seas for his glory. And when we get out there, we find that... There's a lot of rough waters. And we need to be careful that we don't shipwreck our faith. The God who built us to sail the seas of life equipped us to face every challenge so that we may avoid spiritual shipwrecks. So the text here is about how you and I can avoid spiritual shipwrecks. And and, and as we live out the Christian faith and we sail the often tumultuous and, and stormy waters of life, there, there are some things that we can do to keep us from making shipwreck of, of our faith. And so the first thing that we see is that we need to keep battling. The Christian life is not a breeze. It is a battle. Amen? We, we face tough days in our lives. And sometimes the battle involves our own warring against sin. It's like the guy who prayed, Lord, Lord, so far today, I've done pretty well. 
I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy. I have not been grumpy at all today or, or selfish or prideful. But in a few minutes, God, I am going to get out of bed this morning and then I'm going to really need your help. <laughs> Sometimes our life is like that, isn't it? We're pretty good as long as we're still in bed. But as soon as our feet hit the floor, oh my, life comes apart. Verse 18, he, he, he says here in verse 18, he says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, that according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. That is, fight the good faith. So, so what is the good warfare or the good fight? Well, it's living out the Christian life. It's that simple. It is sailing the difficulties of life, the storms of life. And that's a battle. And so Paul is using military language here. He uses a word that he charges him. Charge there is a, is a military command. And then Paul talks about waging the good warfare. It's literally war the good warfare is what he is saying there. The Greek word translated wage there is a word from which we get our English word strategy. And so it's a military term picturing a soldier's strategic battle as he engages the enemy. Now, the next word refers to a military campaign, not just a, not just a quick skirmish, but it is, it is a long, protracted battle that goes on and on and on throughout our Christian life. And that's a Christian life. It's not a quick skirmish. It is a campaign. And the, so the mission is not accomplished until we are at home with the Lord. When we are in glory, then we've accomplished our mission. And so every day of our lives, we are in a battle. We are in a struggle. We are facing setbacks, but we keep on going by God's grace. We keep sailing the sea of life for his glory. We don't just give up and say, well, what's the use? I can't handle this. I can't do that. I give up. No, we keep battling. We stay in the, in the conflict, in the battle. And so when Paul talks about waging the good warfare, he's not talking uh, about warring with, with literal weaponry like, like grenades and guns and weapons of mass destruction, nor does he suggest that the enemy is a human being. Remember what he said in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God? He is speaking in reference to our battle with the enemy that we have, with, with Satan. He says in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He reminds us that it's not man who is our enemy. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes as we find ourselves in the midst of a battle during life, we start attacking the the person that's in front of us. And it's not him. It's not her. It's the devil. That's who our enemy is. And so he says in Ephesians 6.12, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where our battle is. It's not a man who is the enemy. Husband, it's not your wife that's the enemy. And wife, it's not your husband that's the enemy. It's... It's not the bullies at school or, or, or the co-worker. It's not that job that you have. It's not that illness. It's not that relationship. Our battle is not physical. Our battle is spiritual. And so Peter said in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to pray, God, give me the wisdom to see these challenges that I face and to understand that they are spiritual in nature. God, rebuke the evil one who comes against me and give me the wisdom to draw close to you and rely upon you as you equip me to fight the good fight and to go grow spiritual, spiritually during this time of difficulty in my life. There's a word of encouragement in these charges of Paul. He says there in verse 18 that he is giving this command according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, Timothy, do you remember when you were called into the ministry of service? Do you remember how some of the folks back there in Lystra spoke of your being uniquely gifted to serve in the way that you're serving? Do you remember their encouraging words? Well, remember them especially during the difficult times because it is by them that you will wage the good warfare. Remember who you are and remember whose you are and what God has done in you in the past, and what he's continuing to do in you, and what he wants to do in you, remember those things. That's one of the things that gets most pastors through the difficult periods of ministry. The pastor remembers that God has called him into this task of pastoring, of shepherding, of leading the church, and he's encouraged to move forward. As you think back in your life of all of those men who you stood before and, and answered questions and heard them say, you are equipped, you are ready, you can do this. We stand behind you, we pray for you. Similarly, every Christian can be encouraged that God has called us to our salvation in the same way that God has called others. And when God calls us, he promises to help us live out our salvation. He's there with us. And so he says, for example, in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. So be encouraged that God is with you as you battle the enemy. Now some, some Christians get involved in a spiritual battle of some kind and they run away. And so the military calls this A-W-O-L. Absent without leave. AWOL. 
and somebody gets his feelings hurt or somebody suffers a, a, a spiritual setback and they throw up their hands and they say, I give up. I'm leaving the church. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm tired of all of this. Listen, God didn't design you or me to give up. He designed us to keep battling, to keep moving forward, and to remember that the battle isn't with another person. The battle is with the spiritual darkness, the enemy of our soul. So trust in God to guide you, to navigate you through life storms, and keep sailing for his glory. Don't give up. Persevere. Charles Spurgeon said that it, is, it, it was by perseverance that the snail made it onto Noah's ark. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Keep going. Keep babbling. Keep believing, number two. Not only must we keep battling, but we must keep believing. Verse 19 says, having faith and good conscience. Having is a present active participle, which connotes continual activity. So it's not that we just believe once the Christian faith and we got, okay, I got that. It's all over now. I can move on with my life. No, we must continually believe. We must work at it. We must keep believing. Now, there are two subpoints that we find here. First is, is, is to keep believing, you must live your conviction. In verse 19, in the first part there, he says, having faith. The idea here is, is holding to or clinging to the faith. That's the, the context of the gospel. The body of truth. A set of convictions. Keep believing and living out your conviction. Don't, don't swerve from them. Live your conviction. And, and here's the, the other subpoint. Listen to your conviction. Verse 19b there, he says, and a good conscience. Now your conscience is not your feelings. Some people think, well, that's just my feelings. And, and your feelings can be manipulated one way or another. Your conscience is a gift from God. It is God guiding you successfully for his glory. John MacArthur says a good conscience serves as the rudder that steers the believer through the rocks and reefs of sin and error. Wouldn't it be great? If God just sort of uh, preached to you uh, on the inside, you know, you just hear him preaching to you. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I, I love my GPS on my phone. I, I love that. I, I, I turn it on sometimes when I even know where I'm going. I just turn it on. I like to see, you, you know, how many miles I got to go and what time I'm going to get there and, and all of this kind of stuff. And this voice just, just keeps telling me which direction to go. Take the next right. You know, after this light, turn right at the next light. Turn left here. Oops. Make a U-turn. <laughs> Recalculating. <laughs> well, that's a bit like your conscience. It is God preaching on the inside of you. 
And he will always direct you in a way that is in harmony with his printed word, the Bible. God never directs you in a way that is contrary to the word of God. So sometimes people have said, well, God told me that this is okay for me to do. I said, well, we got a problem here because God told me in the word you are not to go that way. Well, I don't care what the Bible says. I just feel like this is what God wants me to do. You feel? <laughs> well, let me know how that works out down the road. Because God's word is going to always stand. Your feelings won't. Your feelings are going to change probably within a day or two here, and you'll have a different feeling. We need to live our life according to the word of God. So if you want to avoid spiritual shipwreck, listen to your conscience that is grounded in the word of God. And so when you're, when you're thinking about that questionable activity or you start mulling it over in your mind, listen to your conscience. It's God's preaching inside of you. It's his Holy Spirit who is saying, watch it, don't do that. This is the way out. And when you're thinking about flirting with that person, it's your conscience, God's spirit on the inside of you, who is shouting, don't do that. This is the way out. When you're allowing your anger to get the best of you, or that private struggle rears its ugly head, listen to your conscience. Listen to the voice of God, the Spirit of God on the inside of you telling, stop, don't do that. But you know what happens is sometimes we plow right on through that and the next time, the voice isn't near as loud. And we plow through that, and the next time, we barely hear it. And eventually, we don't hear that voice anymore. So sometimes preacher, God's preacher on the inside says, go share your faith with that person, teach that class, give that tithe. Listen to your conscience. That's God's way of navigating us through the difficulties of life. Paul goes on to say that some people have rejected their good conscience. And that takes us to our third action point this morning, and that we, we keep battling, we keep believing, and we keep behaving. What does, what does Paul say about those folks who have rejected their conscience? The last part of verse 19 there says, which some have rejected concerning their faith have suffered some who reject their good conscience, some who don't listen to their good conscience, who turns it off, God, God's preacher on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit, they did what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do. And what was the result? Concerning the faith, they have suffered shipwreck. They have shipwrecked their faith. It's like that GPS that I mentioned. Sometimes I get tired of listening to that lady's voice in the box. Particularly when I got a better way to go. And she keeps saying, turn here. No, I'm not turning there, I'm going straight. Well, turn here. No, I'm not gonna turn there. Turn here. And she keeps saying that over and over. You know what I do sometimes when I get sick and tired to listen to that lady? I mean, besides yelling at her. I turn it off. And you know what happens sometimes? I lose my way. I get lost. 
God's Spirit is on the inside saying, do this, do that. And sometimes we shut the Spirit off and we suffer shipwreck of our faith. We deliberately violate our conscience, our navigating system, and consequently we crash into an iceberg and we sink to the bottom of the ocean. That's what happens to you and me when we stop listening to our good conscience and we no longer sail correctly. We start to sail off course and we face the real possibility of spiritual shipwreck. And Paul mentioned two peoples to whom this happened to in verse 20 there. He, he, he says, Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We don't know exactly who these two are and exactly what they did. Their names are mentioned elsewhere, but we really don't know if they are the same person. But what we do know is that Hymenius and Alexander started sailing the Christian journey, and at some point in that voyage, they veered off course because they stopped listening to the good conscience, because they seared their conscience in disobedience, and they sailed off course, sailing into the water of sin and error. And Paul says that because they did this, he delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now Paul, Paul is speaking here to the matter of church discipline. And so and as, a, as an apostle, Paul had done what he instructed the church to do in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He had Hymenius and Alexander removed from the church membership because of their persistent sin. They were delivered to Satan, that is, into Satan's realm outside of the church. And for what reason? That they may learn not to blaspheme. Church discipline properly administered is remedial in nature. It's not meant to be a permanent thing to get rid of them and get them out of our hair and, and, and it's all over. It is done with a view towards loving correction and restoration. Why does a school teacher discipline a rebellious student? Well, today, because they want to go to prison, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but back when I was in school, they would, they would correct us or discipline us so that we wouldn't disrupt the rest of the students around, that we would learn to behave the proper way when we were out in public, when we were in a classroom situation, when we were under someone who was in authority over us, we don't have that today, and look at the mess we have in our society. So Matthew 18 provides the steps that Christians are to take to bring loving correction to erring members. It begins with approaching an offending brother or sister in a private one-on-one -on -one situation. And this is not a situation, well, I didn't like the way they looked at me, or I didn't like, you know, they, they said this, and I, I think they meant this, and I, no, we're, we're talking about a sin. 
So if it begins by approaching an offending brother or sister in private one-on-one, if the person does not repent, then Jesus says that we are to take another one with us and have a witness there with us. And the person still doesn't repent, then the matter goes before the church, and the person is still not willing to repent, then Jesus says to treat that person as a heathen, as an unbeliever. They are removed from the church, and the church prays, for the person to repent and return that he or she may be restored. So church discipline is done with a view towards loving correction and restoration. So how do we avoid shipwreck in our life? We keep battling, we keep believing, and we keep behaving. I hope that's helpful for you as you sail the rough storms of life. Let's pray.